Hey, welcome to the Everyday Sniper. Sorry for the delay, guys. It's been a whirlwind, crazy-ass September. Um, just been traveling everywhere. I hadn't spent a weekend home um, in over a month now. And we just finished up our last mile-high shooting course, part of the mile-high training detachment. Uh, Mike was out there with us. We had 12 students. Oh, dodged a bunch of crazy weather, man. I don't know what it is with Colorado lately and the weather. Uh, the first day, we, we, we get out there. Like, I'm out there Thursday setting up, and it was gorgeous. It was 85 degrees, light wind, 6 to 8 miles an hour. It was perfect. Set some of the targets up, paint everything. I'm good to go. Got the classroom ready. Friday, we come out. Great morning. Everything's good. I, I do the eval. I do the, the presentation, and halfway through the presentation, front comes through, weather flips, we lose 20 degrees, and the winds go from 18 to 24 miles an hour. I'm, I'm like beside myself with this. I'm like, how the hell are we supposed to train when it, it's, it's like, it was only supposed to be bad like Sunday. Here it was Friday, we're already at 24 mile an hour winds, um, you know, and then it, the the weather's coming in. They're supposed to have rain. It never rains in Colorado. I mean, never. When you look out there, it's dry. It's dead. Nothing's grown. We come out to do these classes, rain. We come out to do the other classes, rain, wind. But we go through. We, we get everybody uh, zeroed up, tweak their position. We did a lot of short-range stuff Friday. So we were able to fix everybody and focus on that. A couple reps, uh, you know, and then we move them out just lightly to distance, we went to go do the 800-yard stuff that we talked about. It was for the 308s, and we had a bunch of short 308s in the class, five mils of wind at 800. That's almost as much windage as you need elevation. So I'm like freaking out. I'm like, what the hell? This Why is this happening? Like four out of five of these mile-high classes are dealing with this really crappy weather that we normally never get. So, you know, Sunday or Saturday, we get up, I go out there, we get a reprieve from the weather in the morning, winds are down, we're only like 8 to 10, everything's good, we get everybody out to uh, uh, 1,000, we do 1,100, we do 1,400, so we got everybody out to distance, then the wind starts picking up again, so we're doing our wind drills and stuff, um, we, we did a, spent a little extra time with the guys, how to figure out the wind form. How to simplify it. I mean, in, in, when you think about, you know, and, and really this isn't new. It's just you, you, we're always looking for a different way of explaining it. And using that, 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 that first number of the BC, determining what value your rifle is, uh, miles per hour, it makes it real easy. You have this rifle with this bullet. You have this mile per hour gun. That's all you need to know. I mean, that's it. It makes it super, super simple. You don't have to get deep into the weeds. You don't have to give people like background and in, in, in information outside of this that you can really make it simple for them. And, and I think that's been the theme of this year's training courses, okay? Because like we're done now. I'm done with my classes. I got some private stuff coming here and there. Guys want to come out and and do a day here or there with me private-wise and dodge weather. No big deal because we're, we're going to snow already this week. Wednesday, they're, you know, they're talking snow uh, at night, freeze. I got to go turn my water off and make sure my sprinkler's all good. You guys don't know how that is, but 
it's normally not this soon in the season for us. You know, it's kind of a little weird that we're this wet. We're looking at snow already, and it's this cold. I mean, we were layered and bundled up. Yesterday was just like, it got to be a little miserable in the afternoon, and we ended up doing some classroom stuff. We had that misting rain that was just everywhere, 18-mile-an-hour winds, you know, I'm wearing long johns and three layers of jackets, and it's still pretty friggin' cold. Everybody's red-faced and cold. The wind just beats you up, and then you combine it with the moisture. We had 78% humidity in Colorado, which normally 33 is a bad day. To have 78 just makes it that much colder when it drops down. So, you know, the, the, the thermometer might say it's 45 degrees. Once you start adding the moisture and that wind chill... It's down there in the 30s and stuff and feels a hell of a lot colder than it is. And there's no there's no escape from it. You know, you're out there on the range with nothing. There's nothing to block it. So we did some classroom stuff. It worked out really well for everybody because we did get our shooting in. We got a really good shooting. The guys shot really well. I mean, you, you know, when you get a third round hit at 1,400 yards with a 16-inch 308, the guys are on it, man. They're paying attention. They they know the, the why, the cause and effect. You know what I mean? Why is this happening? Why is this good? And, you know, going back to, to and, and, and I got to compose my thoughts. I want to knock this out for you guys today. As you can hear, my voice is still pretty shot. Uh, having to scream across the wind. When the wind's that strong, you actually have to go down the line to every student and pass on the instructions. You can't just stand in the middle and say, hey, everybody, this is what we're doing. They won't hear you. I mean, you can't even hear the steel get hit because the wind's going the wrong direction, you know. But the the, the theme was crisp, concise, simplifying it, tweaking it. This PowerPoint was the new modified one. And we had a, it was a really great thing here. We had Tom. Tom was a student in our May class. And May was the other one. We had the really bad weather. I said to Tom, I'm like, dude, you were the jinx. So May, we had all that rain, all that wind, you know, the big problems with the weather-wise. And, and it, was, it was cold then, too, because it dropped down temperature when you start adding in these wind, wind factors over these 18 and 20-mile-an-hour winds. So Tom was in that class. Well, Tom comes to this class. He used a different power, or me, but he received a different level of instruction in May. I then tweaked it over the course of the season, and the PowerPoint that he got this weekend was different. He noticed it. He saw the improvements. He really liked it. I mean, shooting lights out, and and I have to agree. I mean, when we're doing two and three day basic classes. While this may sound crazy, um, guys learn more coming back. We get a lot in Alaska that come back a second time. We get, uh, we're getting guys down here in the lower 48 coming back a second time. And it really, really resonates when you do that. And, you know, I go and like, you know, back in the day, and I haven't been to one in a while, but I used to teach at Rifles Only. I'd come home and then I'd find like a handgun and carbine class. And I've talked about this before. Take, I've taken classes from guys like, you know, Pat Rogers, Clint Smith, Larry Vickers, Tiger McKee, you know, a whole bunch of people I've taken class from. Well, when like Larry Vickers is around, I'll take his basic handgun class multiple times. I don't necessarily go to his advanced class. I need, I work up on my fundamentals. I go to these basic guys' classes 
And I always liked Larry's handgun stuff because he focused on accuracy. Drop a round out of the black and he's going to let you know about it. You know what I mean? And and I I that's what I need. That's how I think. That's how I resonate. Give me those fundamentals. Let me get make them subconscious. Let me make them second nature. Let me make sure all that's good. The rest falls into line. You know what I mean? Which is why I kind of focus on basic classes here and I don't really get crazy with the with the PR2s, the precision rifle stuff and or the competitions and things like that. To me, an advanced class is a fundamental class that's just faster and off your belly. It's moving from position to position. All it is is can you execute those fundamentals from a different position, from an alternate position, under time, speed, and stress. You know, it's it's just getting in and out of a position is really all you have to do on the comp stuff. Understanding what the obstacle is, how, okay, here's how the barricade stage works. How do you get there, get the shot off, and get to the next position efficiently? That's really what it comes down to. I mean, the rifles and the way they do it, it does so much work for them. When you got guys with a 20-pound six-dasher with a four-port break and, and a game-changer and they drop it on a barricade and they just let it there, they can free recoil. They cannot put influence into it. They can do they can do a quite a bit less from their end and still get a hit. I get it. And, and, and it's part of that game. But me, I want to be a, 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 you know, a better, well-rounded shooter. I don't want to be a good, bad shooter. A guy with no fundamentals who's either adapted his equipment to shoot better, spent more money, you know, works on his loads, whatever the case, and he adapts to that situation. I'd rather be able to roll into anything and know my fundamentals will carry me through, even if I'm learning a new system or it's a different context. If I'm shooting for training and for me, it's one way. If I'm shooting competition, it's another thing, but those those I, I apply it the same. If I'm shooting ELR really far, I'm applying those fundamentals. That's where it really matters, you know, stuff like that. So that's kind of where I am and why I put my focus on it. So the case now for me is how do you explain it better in less time to get people behind the gun to get the reps in so they can understand it and put it into practice? You know, I, I, I'm not known, even though I talk a lot with a lot of this stuff in the podcast and all, and I'm rattling on and stream of consciousness, I, you know, it, it, I'm not doing this from like notes. I'm not doing this from cheat sheets. I'm doing it right off my head and it's coming through because I've ingrained it into my brain. You know what I mean? These are the basic elements. How do I make it as simple as possible? I mean, it's like how I explain mills to people. 10 pennies and a dime. You know what I mean? Who? How do you adjust a mil scope? It's a penny. One click, a tenth of a mil, right? Click, 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 that's a penny. 10 pennies is a dime. One dime is a mil. It makes it really easy for someone, because we still get guys coming in with MOA stuff who don't understand, but see, I mean, we had one MOA scope in the class. One. And that guy feels little left out because we're going down the line talking to everybody in mills and then you know one of us are at any given moment they'll say hey what about this and we'll just give them an answer in mills and then we go oh you're the moa guy okay you got to use this 
and and they and they become an afterthought, okay? Because it's one out of twelve people that are speaking that language. So think about it. You go to a competition, you go to a training course, you go wherever you're going, you're an MOA guy. You're speaking, you know, proper English. And here we are all speaking German, you know, and it's like, well, okay, what are they saying? What are they doing? I get a little bit of it, but oh, I I picked up a word here or there, but I'm still not tracking with everybody because these guys are all talking in mills. Our wind formula, the way we're doing the wind is a mill-based thing. You'd have to convert it to do it in MOA, all right? It's mill-based. There is a rule of thumb we use, you know, a 600-yard kind of thing, 6MOA. We do the British method, the British method of a wind call, which is based off 10-mile-an-hour wind. You know, you, it can go down to two threes and stuff like that, but that that's in the PowerPoint, for the MOA guys, here's your rule of thumb. Here's your shortcut for the wind. But it's spoken on once, and then we're doing the wind, you know, the way we're doing. And now we do a half-hour hip pocket discussion on it. It's in mills, you know. So that's that's kind of where we're at with that. Where the I mean, MOA other than like. F class and bench rest, it really should die on the vine. It has no no longer has a place for where we are um, anymore. And it, it, it's falling down pretty hard, especially because of inch per hundred yard. I mean, it's still a case of true MOA versus shooter MOA. True MOA versus shooter MOA can be as much as a 17-inch problem at a thousand yards. Okay, everybody will say to you, well. One MOA is 1.047, you know, times 10 is 10 and a half inches, 10.47 inches. Who cares about that 0.47? It doesn't matter at all. But when you need 36 to 40 MOA to reach 1,000 yards, you now have to multiply that inch and a half or that, that half an inch by 3.6. You know what I mean? You're, you're, you're multiplying it. You're adding it up. And, and so that creates your error. 3.6 times the half inch times 10 becomes your error factor. And all you got to do is go to JBM, put one column MOA, the other collar inch per 100 yard. They have an inch per 100 yard drop down and look at the difference. One will tell you to dial 37 MOA, the other, or 37 on your scope. The other tells you to dial 39. If you interchange that with your scope, that's a miss. Okay, 37 versus 39. 37 verse 39 at a thousand yards. That's a miss, guys. So we run into that. So, you know, I, I kind of have to do something to work with the MOA guys a little bit better because they they are getting um they are getting left a little bit behind. Not a lot. I mean, it's not big, but it is a case of, you know, here's a mill, here's a mill, here's a mill, here's a mill, here's a mill. Oh, wait, you're MOA. Use this. Here's a mill, here's a mill, here's a mill, here's a mill. And, and that's what they listen to. Um, the other thing I want to go in, because it, it actually turned into some pretty funny drama. Um, uh, I posted the, the from the Precision Rifle Expo. I had a video of David Tubbs' level versus the Accuracy First level and how you can move Tubbs' level and the Accuracy First doesn't move. 
you know, so it becomes a case of where where do you fall with the levels? And it, and it created all kinds of funny drama. It went huge, even without me in it. So I post this video up, and um, it, it, it's it's blowing up, you know. And guys were getting beyond ridiculous, talking about flying in an airplane and losing orientation in an airplane versus shooting on the ground and how you can't find the horizon. I never look at a horizon when I shoot. I don't get it. So, you know, it's like they're and I they're like, wait till you go in the mountains. I live in Denver. I have a friggin' shooting spot in Pike National Forest that's at twelve thousand feet above sea level. Okay. The DA out there right now is like fifteen thousand feet. You know, I don't shoot in the mountains. I have no clue. I shot in Idaho with the guys who were saying, wait till you learn to shoot in the mountains. I shot at the same range they work on. And it's like, I didn't use it. I don't need it. I I, I know what level feels like and looks like. We use our head, man. Our, how, do, how do the mountain bike guys ride these mountains and knife edges and don't fall over? Okay, they have their vestibule, right? That system, we have a we have like a multifaceted, feature in our brain that controls level gravity it works liquid it works visual it works all these different ways and i'm going to tell you something right now guys i don't give a fuck what you say our brain is more accurate than that six dollar vial you bought that is a six dollar vial with less than a degree of accuracy or right around that it's like it's like 0.8 degree of accuracy our brain you know, when Thomas Hoglin looked at it with an electronic level, his his brain was within 0.2 degree accurate. He tested this and he lives in the fjords of Norway and he's shooting all in these different places and weird terrain. And everything they say you can't do without a level, he's doing without a level. But when he put a, an electronic level on, faced it towards the camera, he was four times more accurate than the level in his brain. How do we walk without falling down? How do you do a tightrope, I, I, uh, the, the slack line, all that stuff? I mean, think about it. You can train yourself to be straight. And the problem is, we saw this in class, neon sign, neon. Okay, Mark and I talked about it. We talked about this a lot. Here's how guys screw up. Number one, they don't set the rifle up com correctly. So when they address the rifle, their natural tendency is to be slightly rolled over because it's not set up right. They're also not straight back behind the rifle, a lot of these guys. They're off at a 5, 10, 15 degree angle. So that brings them closer to the scope and it lets them roll their head over. So their head is not perfectly straight. You're, you're impairing your visual system right there. Get straight, get straight up, set the rifle up completely. So if you're always, if you address the rifle in the prone on a square range, flat range, whatever the case may be, and you look up at your level and it's off and you go, gee, good thing I bought that level and you straighten it out, that's a clue, dude. That's a clue your rifle set up wrong. That means you're naturally not holding it correctly. Then what happens, and we see it all the time, we talked about it. We, we, I'm, 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 you, you got to learn it, man. This is what we see. Shot one is straight because they used their level and they straightened it out. Soon as they fire that first shot and they're shooting a five-shot string, they stop looking at the level. 
Shot two, because their bipod's too loose, they got the friggin' lowest common denominator, Harris, no pod lock, it's mega loose, recoil's gonna exploit it, push it over a little bit, then they're gonna run the bolt and pull the rifle down. When they pull the rifle down, because their head is already rolled over, because they're not straight behind the rifle, they're off on an angle, they roll over a little bit more to the right. They push it over. Okay, they shoot shot two. They're no longer level. They do it again. They shoot shot three. They now see when they're lining back up that they're crooked enough. They've rolled over and canted the rifle enough to now notice it. And what do they do? Then they look up at their level and they go up. I'm crooked again because this is when they first saw it. They're not tuning their body to being straight. And if you're on a square range with a paper target and a 30-foot burn behind it, where's your horizon? There is no horizon. If you're on 25, 35 power with your night force, where's your horizon? If you're trying to level it off the target, you're wrong. That's not how it works. You quarter the target. Doesn't matter the target's orientation. You quarter the target based on level and gravity. We know what gravity is. We walk every day and don't fall down, okay? We can walk, uh, you know, again, it's why cops do the drunk driving test because you now have impaired it with alcohol and they want to see if you fall over. That's the system they're working with, okay? So then they straighten it out on shot four. And they, they've, they've shot three. They've seen they're now canted. And usually they start between two and three degrees is where they start to notice it. They come back straight. They shoot shot four. And now shot five is at that half a degree plus off again because they don't notice it and they're pulling the rifle over. I see it every class. I see it with a majority of the students. Okay. The level is a training aid. It's not a shooting tool. Okay, if you have to focus on your level for every shot, you're dividing your attention and you're doing it wrong. If you don't understand what level is and it's not flying an airplane with no reference points in a big blue sky and black at night and doing loops and inverting and G turns and all these things that airplanes do and you're not on the ground, you're actually sitting in something floating in the air. Different story, dude. It's not, oh, let's just get rid of horizon lines out of the airplanes. <laughs> Look, you know what? These false equivalent arguments are stupid. And, oh, well, that one target, everybody was missing the one. Well, because they were trying to level off the target and not quarter it properly. I'm sure not everybody missed it that way. Maybe a large majority of people missed it our way. But you guys take shortcuts in those PRS matches. You guys are trying to beat the game and not focus on fundamentals, okay? You guys free recoil too. So to say, you know, hoo, 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 this didn't work for everybody. Yeah, I get it, dude. In 90 seconds, shooting eight targets and running from position to position, you're not playing a level game. You're, you're resting it flat on something. You've got barricades, you got this. You're not rolled and doing all this crazy stuff. So the idea that, one target in one match threw somebody off. Could have been a win you missed. Okay, you're shooting ELR. You could have missed the win. You're in the mountains of Wyoming in the canyons. You know, multiple win zones. I've shot the Pike National one. 
if I didn't turn on multiple win zones and really kind of play with it, no way could the software predict the wind call properly because I'm shooting down past the valley. There's a wind shadow. There's a canyon. So the idea that you're calling a consistent wind in the mountains and that you saw something moving to the right is 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 a level issue. No, man. Yeah, there is a places where you can use a level in that context. But the thing is, they're way too expensive. There's It's a $6 vial on most of them that aren't accurate. They're, they really aren't doing it. And you should be able to feel it. You should be setting the rifle up for you. If your head's rolled over, you're going to be off. That's not a problem with the world and level in your brain. That's a problem with you. So the I guess these guys were blowing up big and taking this way too serious. A lot of us, man, aren't running levels. And if you're on a square range and a flat range and you're dependent on a level, that's that's a you problem, okay? That is a you problem. That's not a, you know, I got to have a level to do this right problem. That's a your position's wrong, your rifle's set up wrong. If you go in the mountains and you're not quite sure what's going on and you got a little bit of an orientation issue, yeah, okay, I'll get it. If you're going to say in the context of that, in the context of elk hunting on the thing, I want to make sure I'm level to gravity and all that. Okay, pretty cool. I'll get you there. But if you're on a square range and you're dependent on that $150 vial that you just bought, you're the problem. Okay, let's put things into context. Let's answer the why things work the way they do or don't. Let's not pretend that you need this friggin' $6 vial with a 0.8 degree between the lines accuracy. You ain't using them anyway. I'm telling you, in every class with the guys with the level, they're off. They're very rarely, and, they're, and they, they may not be off the first shot because they check it. By the third shot, they're not using it, and they're off. So what's who's wrong here? Who's doing what? Or what's the right answer? I guess it's not right or wrong. But what's the correct answer if by shot three, you're off? You can't blame that on the world. You can't blame that on no horizon. And you can't blame that on being needing the level to see it. Because if we see people camping on a flat range, come on, that's, that's a personal problem. That's a training issue. You got all these people with zero training. They didn't go and take any instruction anywhere. They don't know. They fumbled through the fundamentals. They've learned to be good, bad shooters. And now they're going to educate us on why they need a level. Okay, they don't know the why of what they've done anything. They've just been able to buy a really good piece of equipment, take more time than anybody else and go to multiple matches and do a lot of different things. But they don't know the why. They just know why it happens for them. You know what I mean? It's the difference between a, a learned thing. It's why some people are better at certain things in teaching than others. You know, we can sit down and I can just say, hey, man, everybody, I'm going to invite 10 of you to come to my range. Okay. All we're going to do is hang out and shoot. And every now and then, if I see something, I'll tell you, hey, man, you slap the trigger. Hey, man, get straight behind the rifle. But I'm not going to give you a class. We're just going to hang out and talk about it intermittently. Do you not think you would learn and shop better by the end of the weekend? Of course, even if I didn't teach you anything. You're still going to be a better shooter 
because you're going to have gotten reps in. You're going to see a varied conditions over the multiple days and you're going to be getting up tips and tricks from the people around you. Okay. Hey, tighten up the bipod. Hey, do this. Hey, do that. But that doesn't make it proper instruction. And there's a lot of people out there that charge you just to come hang out and shoot with them who will throw those little tidbits out at you. It works for them, but they can't replicate it for you. By having this focus on the fundamentals, it's replicated for everybody under any context. Everybody under any context. Doesn't mean this works here, that works there. You know what I'm saying? That's all. I just think it's pretty funny how these guys will argue for equipment. You know, let's fix, how do we fix the problem? Buy it. How do you fix a problem? Buy this. Well, what's the best way to do it? Buy that. You know? Yeah. You want to fix a problem with your hairs? Buy a pod lock. It's 14 bucks. It's not a $150 level. $14, tighten that Harris up. When you get in behind the rifle, point the rifle to the target, tighten that bipod up. You can see it's level and square from back behind. You can see that, whether it's canted or not. And we got so many great pictures from Jim from the class. I saw during a fundamental eval a guy who was just ever so slightly canted because we don't correct you on the fundamental eval. I'm going to make a post and I'm going to show a thing that talks about these levels. And I'm going to tell you right now, 90% of the guys who are canting have a level and don't use it. That's a clue. Okay. They have a level and they don't use it. I said that again. They only use it the first time. They don't use it for the other times. So you can see it. Set it up, tighten the bipod. It's now straight and level downrange. When you get behind it, if you start moving it, you have to put force into it now. You'll feel it if you're pushing over. Or the rifle won't let you pull over. The other thing is that support of the rear hand. When you run the bolt, this is magic right here, guys. Magic. Okay, we got... Support hand, holding the rear bag. Well, it needs to hold the rifle too. I take my firing hand off the gun. I'm going to run up and run the bolt. Hold the back of the rifle up straight so you don't pull it over. Could be a thumb, could be your two fingers. All it is is thumb and index. Pinch your fingers. Your other three work the bag. Hold that rifle. Put a little extra pressure when your hand comes off. You keep it, one, into the shoulder pocket and back. Two, you prevent from pulling it over. Three, when you come back with your firing hand, you can then relax the support hand. They work in concert together. It's a team, left hand, right hand. Right hand comes off, left hand holds the rifle. Right hand comes on. Left hand relaxes and supports the back. It's really, really easy. And it doesn't require you to buy anything. Because 90%, and I won't say 90, the majority of people who advocate a level make a level. Okay? And that's, that's one of those things. You can, you can learn to do without it. It's part of natural point of aim. It's part of addressing the rifle. It's part of our fundamentals to go straight and square. Then it's about quartering the target and not trying to use the target as a plumb line. The target is not a plumb line. A lot of times we shoot circles. Where's the straight edge on a circle? 
How do you quarter a circle if there's no straight edge and you're focused in on 25, 35 power? You know how to quarter a target. You should know what level feels like. If your head's rolled over, you're compromising your eyesight. We're predator vision, right? We're, 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 we're animals. We're predators. Our eyes are close together. We can gauge distance. But if you rotate those eyes sideways, you're breaking that part of our process. You're, you're, you're compromising our predator vision. Roll your head straight. Don't push too much cheek and come over. That's what it's about. Also want to give a shout out to one of the students, Chris. Chris came in. He 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 had a realization and he emailed me today. Um, that's enough on levels. I don't really care, man. I, if you want to go spend 150 bucks on a level and if you think you can stare at it, it's on you. It's your money. I don't really care. But I'm telling you it's a training issue. It's not a purchasing decision. You know what I mean? It's a difference between training and buying, you know? We could buy a lot of stuff that does really well for us. You know what I mean? Really right stuff, AI, the really right stuff mount for the foregrip, balancing it in the position, good Bartland barrel, really good scope, dial it up, step back, touch the trigger, I hit the target. Don't even have to be, all I I need is my thumb and trigger finger to touch the rifle and I can hit the target. But that's not marksmanship. So Chris, um, yeah, I, I, taught, I teach it in class. Guy, some guys are still confused on loading the bipod. In part of loading the bipod, he noticed and, and he, he saw a lot of people pushing from their feet, pushing from their body and their shoulders. And he's noticed, I don't do that. Okay, if I have to reestablish a load because I slipped, the recoil pushed me back, whatever the case may be, it may be a bad position, I'll use my toes but then relax it. But what, especially like with a Harris where there's no flex, all you're doing in loading the bipod is take the flex out of the bipod. Harris doesn't have that. I bring it back into the shoulder pocket first. I rise my chest high off the ground. And then when I bring that back into the shoulder pocket, my bipod might come back about a half an inch from where I'm sitting. Then when I settle down behind it and I just relax and settle in behind my chest or onto my chest, that creates the load. There's no push from the shoulder. There's no push from the feet. There's no tension on the body. I'm a slab of dead meat behind the rifle. The load comes from your core. And by lifting up forward and bringing my shoulders high and then settling down, I'm pinching the, the rifle between the bipod and my belt buckle. Okay, That's where that's coming from. There's no push in the shoulder. There's no move forward. I'm not scooting against it. And and a little goes a long way. A lot of stuff out there that we did previously, video-wise, we left out key elements. And I mentioned this before. I'm pretty sure. I'm just reinforcing it, I guess. We left out key elements because we knew people were trying to teach off of it. And so there was things we weren't explaining to that nth degree in the videos that we might show and explain in person. And that's a big part of a lot of our videos, or my videos, especially now, that it's not an instructor-level video. It's basically to further explain the whys, to further demonstrate what I'm doing, to maybe show it to you from a different angle, you know, 
because there I have like in my online training lessons, I have over 45 minutes on just recoil management. 45 minutes of video in my online training lessons on just recoil management from multiple positions, prone, bench, you know, and there's there's a lot of stuff. I, I did it, I saw it yesterday. So we're in the we're finaling the class up. We're we're in the late afternoon. The misty rain broke a little bit. The wind dropped down a little. We're out. We're doing our final shoots. And I see one of the students with his tripod. And he has a um hog saddle, their pig tripod. And what is he doing? He has the rifle up high. He brought the scope to his head. Okay. And this is I see this in a ton of pictures of people demonstrating in other places, demonstrating bipods or tripods. I take that back. I got bipods on the brain. Tripods. So what they do is if you're standing there, your natural stance, they set it up so the rifle scope is in line with their head. Okay, so then they just drop right into it. Wrong. Recoil management. Okay. The head of the tripod has to be down more in the center of your chest, between your breasts. Okay, find your nipples, draw a line. I said nipples. Draw a line right there. That's where the top of the tripod mount goes. Doesn't matter if you got a ball head, really right stuff, leveling base. That's where it goes. Goes right there. So then you can put your shoulders in front of your hips and lean into it. I set the tripod and rifle up the reticle just below the target, just on the bottom. I keep hitting my mic thing. It makes noise. Sorry, guys. Just below it. Then when I lean forward and lean into it, the, my cheek, when I go kind of light, but my cheek pressure then lifts the muzzle up into the target. And that's all, I, all I'm really doing because we're using the tripod to support the rifle, the balance point, the whole thing. All I'm really doing is taking out that slack of the system. If you put the rifle on the tripod, set it up good, and you balance it in the center, and then take your finger and just touch the back or touch the muzzle and just bounce it, you'll see there's that little bit of flex, and it's probably a quarter of an inch. I'm taking that out with my cheek pressure. And then I'm kissing up to it with my shoulder. I got trigger control. I'm back a little bit. And part of that is recoil management. So I'm consistent from a prone position, a kneeling sitting, to now this standing position behind the tripod. Lowering that scope from being at eye level down to more like chin level is enough. That will make a big difference in when you're shooting a tripod. If you see a picture of a guy standing up straight and he's not leaned forward managing the recoil, he's not doing it right. And we we tend to be monkey see, monkey do. You know what I mean? We tend to see pictures of somebody, and maybe me, maybe another guy that we you have respect for doing something. Without the why, without the context, you really have to be careful mimicking that. Why context? That's the that's the foundation of my class. Putting a why behind it and putting it into context of our shooting. We have multiple shooting disciplines. Each shooting discipline is different from the other in small, noticeable ways. So you adapt to that discipline. 
Could be like, you know, I, I do, guys come in the class and they have a semi-auto. I'm very deliberate and very hesitant with trigger reset. I want that large frame semi-auto to work like a precision rifle. How do I get the accuracy I get out of my semi-autos? By that follow-through, by that trigger. I understand the why in the hammer. I understand the milliseconds in the time. I know I'm turning the machine on and what's happening inside, under the hood. So I'm bang, see it, unload, reload, reset. Bang, I see, unloads, reloads, I see the result of my shot, reset. Bang, unloads, reloads, I see the result of my shot, click, reset. It's audible, it's delayed. Three gun guy or a handgun guy is gonna do that on recoil. Quick splits, pop, 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 pop. They're never coming off that trigger, but they reset on recoil. Same thing, different contexts. We're doing it identical. I'm just hesitating it. And with, with the follow-through, because I call follow-through the forgotten fundamental. I mentioned that. With follow-through, when I'm practicing and training, when I'm doing the videos and doing the different stuff, by hesitating that way, when I do go faster, I'm still going to follow through, but I may be reducing that time. But I'm still following a proper fundamental procedure because I'm slowing it down. And that's that's kind of what I'm getting at. I, I don't know. So anyway, guys, um, I'm going to knock some of these out all week. It's going to be nasty. Like I said, snow, wind, rain, all kinds of crap this weekend. Um. So I'll be knocking these out for you. I'm done with my crazy travel schedule. I'm going to be working on next year. I know I got a ton of requests for next year. I have a lot of people wanting me to come all over around the world. It, 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 I got to have a, a place to have a class, okay? We got to have a range in, in preferably, you know, 800 yard minimum. If it's 700, which there's some out there, I can deal with that. So I guess my minimum would be 600 yards in a way, you know, thinking out loud with you guys, just spitballing it. So let's say if your range goes to 600, eight's better, a thousand's optimal. If we have a classroom because I do do a, I do instruct. I need, I, I like the classroom. I like the classroom to be at the range so I could do my eval in the morning. Okay. We need a minimum of 10 students to make it worth the while. I got airfare. I got hotels, right? I got to teach. I don't burn people on these classes. I'm not overcharging. I'd rather have more students there for a little less money than say, Frank needs this much money. You know what I mean? And, and so the, the, there, there's got to be a, an, at least 10 people. I need somebody there to coordinate it. I can't chase all these locations. You, there has to be a guy who's going to take the reins and become sort of like my admin in that location. Because if, if it comes down to me to manage the students in, in you know, in, in, in bumfuck wherever, and then manage them in, you know, uh, Smithville and all these, it's too much. I can't do all that and work at the same time. So you got to have a guy. We want 10 students minimum. We want the range and we want the classroom. Like I said, there's a presentation involved. There's the there's the shooting first thing in the morning. Then we want to roll out and do the classes after. 
and 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 it's it's like up to you guys to set it up and all that if you want it. Just I'll show up. I'll do the class. We'll we'll, we'll make you guys better shooters. But the admin side of stuff, I it, being that scattered becomes a bit of a problem. I don't have a main admin person, you know, to to do that kind. Of, it's Frank, man. It's just me. That's why it's me on the podcast, me on Sniper Side, me in the videos. You know what I'm saying? So you you, you got to kind of look at it that way. But um. I'm making the schedule. If we could fit you in in between, my seasons generally March to October. Okay, um, if you're down in another part of the world where, uh, in you know October to March is your summer, okay, we can definitely work around that. That that helps, because uh, there's been some question about Australia, New Zealand, places like that. Those guys have asked if I can come out. So if you're South America again, kind of things like that. If you're in those parts and you want to do it during your summer, we could do that, and, and and that'll work out. But for, you know, north of the equator, March to October is my season. I have places that get priority, the Mile High classes, the Alaska classes. Canada's on the books already. Um, for you guys uh, with the Insight guys, that's already on the books again. So those guys get priority, and then we fill in. For people who want private instruction, it, 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 it's it's a little tougher because you're you're going in between all that stuff. It's a lot more money. You're almost better off going to a class and having that experience with everybody. Honestly, if you're a guy who wants to do private instruction with me, unless you want to shoot the mile stuff, you're almost better to go into Alaska and doing the bucket list and enjoying it that way or taking a mile high class and being part of the group. Um because private instruction tends to run a little bit different and it's a different experience. Um, so, and it's, it's a lot more money. I'm, I'm basically charging you for the other nine people who aren't there, you know? Um, and so that, that's, that's up to you, man. I'm all about it if that's how you want to do it. But, um, you know, just understand the logistics of it where you could say my window is these two days. Sorry, man, I won't be here. You know, and, and that's that's the way it goes. So because um, I, I do get a lot of emails about that, a lot of questions about private instruction and stuff. I'm also going to be looking at um, setting something up L.E. wise. Um, there, there's there. They got Mile High's got the good training detachment with the L.E. division. They do it different than I do. If you want an L.E. marksmanship class, because I have been getting questions about that. Where some of the LE guys feel it's so scenario based for them, they're still not improving on the marksmanship side of things, and it's always a scenario based. And you know, if you're 100 to 200 yards scenario based on a six by nine target, you know, it, it, it's not getting them down to that precision and accuracy that they're looking at. So I'm thinking about uh, coordinating with Mile High and doing a le marksmanship class okay it, it'll it'll be a heavy focus on the fundamental it'll be something that you can take back as a train the trainer so if that's of interest to you call mile high talk to mike talk to juan talk to troy ask about putting that on the books okay they got the le division at mile high juan and troy over there you can coordinate it through mike you can coordinate it through jamie but talk to them if your groups are interested in a marksmanship class. I have done marksmanship stuff for LE guys, 
and have fixed a lot of problems for them that they've seen in their own training. We talk about it. We're talking about these issues. We talk about what we see. Well, if you're seeing this in your training and it's not getting addressed, think about a train-the-trainer marksmanship class, okay, where we're going to give you that higher level of what your trigger control looks like, what your body position looks like, how you can apply this to multiple positions and multiple scenarios where we don't just have to put you in your gear and we're going to run you in circles and tire you out and then ask you to drop down and hit a target. Yes, that's one part of what they do. Can you can you deploy in all your equipment under time, race your car up, bail out, get your stuff, drop into a position, get the shot off? I get that. We could play with that. But under time, under stress, under these conditions, are you still fundamentally sound? And that's where the error comes in. Are, do you do you understand your 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 weapon condition and what you're doing in, during movement? Are you putting that in a proper condition so when you do bail out, you know exactly where it is and what you're looking at? You know, so it's all part of it. Setting the rifle up properly for you, that shooter. Understanding the positions you're going to encounter. And then applying the fundamentals under those conditions properly, okay? And it's not a case of, yeah, you're doing all this stuff right, but you're slapping the trigger. Yeah, you're doing all this right, but you're slapping the trigger and you didn't set up your natural point of aim. Yeah, you're doing all this right, but you're slapping the trigger, your natural point of aim set up, and you didn't set the rifle scope up properly. So now your sight picture's compromised because you're in a funky position now how to understand all that. So if you now that we're making the um schedule for next year, if you're if your department and and honestly guys, if you talk to them too, let us know your budget cuz the biggest constraint I see with the LE guys is that budget. You know, I'm doing a class and a civilian class might be $1000 for 3 days. The LE doesn't have that budget. Where is your budget? We need to know that mean because that's a key element for you guys. We can't give it away, but at the same time, we can work within people's budgets, all right? And, and so we really need to know that number because every department's different. Um, and it may be a case of where we don't bring four or six of you out, but we can bring two of you out and get the two of you spun up so you can go back and work on the other four, you know? So think about that kind of stuff. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging in there. Sorry for the delay. Um, I hope you're enjoying it. It, it. It's been a it's been a good time, and we'll we'll talk some more. Um, you know, multiple times this week, and we'll be knocking it out. Uh, thanks for everybody who took classes with us this year. It was a super successful season. Congrats to the guys in Alaska. I, I guess you had a good match out there. They put on a precision rifle match over the weekend. Little one day local sounded like it went off pretty well. Um, you know, so James, good job on on you guys. Uh, uh, there. So, you know, hopefully you, you can expand on that. We're, we're, we're building shooters, guys, and we're building shooters around the country, around the world. And, and we're making sure that, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a good thing that that's working on. We're, you know, we, we may be pushing buttons and putting down on some things that we do see, but at the same time, we're out there practicing what we preach. Okay, I'm putting it into practice. I'm making sure it's 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 a consistent message, and I haven't wavered from my message, and and that's that's a, that's a key element, and that's maybe something people haven't realized yet. Some of you have, some of you haven't, 
But thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for being part of the Everyday Sniper. Hop on to Sniper's Hide in the forum. I'm now back up to pre-scout traffic. Like, even beyond. I, I had to raise my limits. I started out with with a certain limit, a certain, then I raised it. Now I raised it. This week, we had to bump it up again. We're now back, and we're still in growth mode on Sniper's Hide. New forms working out good. The software's running great. I'm I'm running all my pre-numbers again. So uh, if you want to see it, you want to be part of it, come on over to Sniper's Hide. Here's a clue, though. We manually approve every account. Because our traffic's so high, because we're so visible, we get a lot of spam, we get a lot of hack attempts. Um, these guys try to do all that. So you'll get six or eight people try to register in a block from Pakistan, India, China, Russia, all these different places. So what we do is we manually approve the account. So if we're in this up and down kind of you know travel, whatever the case may be, it may be 12 hours before we approve your account. You can't do anything until we approve it. So we have to manually approve it because we're looking at your login. We're looking at your IP address. We're determining whether or not you you what your um what kind of system you're on because they do hide it. They'll clone IPs and you know they'll say, "Oh, I'm in New Jersey," but they're really in China. And and we're looking at VPNs and the networks and the things they create. And we know there's guys out there. A lot of doctors and lawyers have VPNs and stuff. A lot of other people too. And we'll block that account. And then they'll come on and say, "Hey, I'm a real person." And then we we approve it. But we're taking extra steps to prevent the hackers. We're taking extra steps to prevent fraud um, because they do try to rip you off on there. We have such a big for sale section. They'll try to clone ads and get you to buy something that doesn't exist. You'll pay for it and they disappear. So we're trying to block all these guys. Um, And so be patient with us. If you do register and you can't jump on immediately and start talking about things and you can't sell immediately, so don't even try. Um, the, the, the for sale section is for contributing members. You got to be a contributing member. You need a hundred posts. Then you can start selling stuff. We want you to talk to us first before you're out there trying to sell us your stuff. Cause frankly, we can get it anywhere. We don't need it from you, but, um, it is what it is. It's popular. It's busy, so, but we're, 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 our numbers are big, man. We're, we're back up, you know, back up with the servers. We're hitting it hard and, and it's working out well. So thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for all these good times. Thanks for everybody who came out to my classes. And we look forward to seeing all the new people next year. Cheers.